Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Major Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Todd Abbott, CEO of Insight Squared, and multiple-time president and SVP of sales and marketing and chief revenue officer. Today, we will be covering three main topics, revenue intelligence, the definition and value, advanced sales math, what are the input variables that go into advanced sales math? and B2B SaaS company valuation metrics that are impacted by revenue intelligence. Todd, please take a moment to give us a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. A little bit of background. I've been a sales and marketing exec for the better part of my career. Started early days in IBM in the early days, really learned the whole sales profession, large account selling hooked up with Cisco Systems in its early days and got the opportunity to live overseas with two uh, three-year stints, one in Asia, one in Europe, which was just a great experience. But I'm a passionate sales leader. I'm out there really looking to try to leverage all of my experience to help other sales leaders take their game to the next level. And I've got just a world of experience to be able to apply to it. Well, I often find that that experience becomes the best foundation for envisioning what the future can look like. And when I first met you, I'm like, wow, I really love this concept about revenue intelligence. And actually, this was about 15 years ago, I talked about cell sciences and how you could use science and math to get better predictable outcomes. So Todd, tell us how your experience as an operator led to this concept of revenue intelligence and what it is. Well, so I like a lot of CROs or sales leaders have grown up through the years where sales cycles have fundamentally changed, where when you're, you know, a nine, six, nine month sales cycle, the the dependencies on different functions is a whole lot less than what it is today. I've always had an analytical side, but I've always struggled to really get the data to really be able to understand what's going on in the sales process. And it's only in my later years have I realized that the dependency on the sales rep to provide those data inputs as to how a deal is progressing is fundamentally flawed. And it's just so obvious to me now. I'm actually a little bit frustrated. It wasn't clear to me early in my career, but that's also fueled this passion and desire to be able to help others realize how technology can just fundamentally change the game on how you manage the evolution of your sales process. Let me double click on something you said, because this was about 10 years ago and I was having a discussion with an executive at Salesforce. And I said, you know that Salesforce automation, now known as CRM, is really not for the sales rep. It's for the managers and executives who want to gain better visibility into what the heck's really going on and thus have more confidence in the forecast. So you said something I want to explore. We just can't count on having the salesperson enter all this data to give us good insight. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, so let me double click down on your comment on CRM because I think that's the foundation. If we really go back and and look at the beginnings of CRM, 
the original business case was that when you lost a sales rep, all of the information about where they were engaged, the contacts, the customers, the activities, it was all on some type of a personal productivity device or in a notebook. And in fact, in the early days, recruiting a competitor's top sales rep brought all that information with them. And so it became pretty clear that there was a shift that needed to take place where that information on how your sales rep was engaging with customers really needed to be company data. It was company assets uh, because you couldn't afford to go hire a new rep and rebuild that territory. It just became unyielding. And so the beginning parts of CRM was really to collect that information. It was a company tool. We sold it and pitched it as a rep territory management tool, but it never fulfilled that promise. And it's morphed into really being a database engine and a workflow engine. There's a lot of great workflows that automate and enhance the sales process, but it never morphed into a territory management tool. And so the data is only as good as what you input, but the number one data source that is the input vehicle is the rep. And it's an unyieldy administrative burden to be able to get all the information from what typically is the most expensive resource in your company. And so this debate, this conflict, we've lived with for a long period of time and fundamentally has to change. I agree with that. And one thing you said really stuck in my mind, and I'm going to pivot back to revenue intelligence, that CRM today really provides you a story of the history, the history of that rep, his or her activity, and the opportunities they worked on. But what we really want to get to is how can we use that information to help us predict the future? Is that really the benefit of revenue intelligence is to better predict what will happen in the future based upon what's happened in the past? So I think there's two key drivers around revenue intelligence. So the first one is exactly as you said, which is how do I get more data and how do I provide analytics to be able to better assess and predict, which typically translates to a forecast. Being able to forecast is the number one term of employment for every CRO, right? In VC-backed companies today, the average tenure for a CRO is 14 to 16 months, and it typically is because of inability to forecast. But I think the second key driver around revenue intelligence is this ability to drive cross-functional alignment on improving the execution of your sales team. I've always been an advocate that while I, from an HR reporting functional leadership standpoint, the sales rep were my team, but the best companies view their sales reps as the company's sales, the company's face to the customer. And it's our collective responsibility to help them market, sell, demo, close, support customers. And best companies that get that understand that the analytics that you have by function need to be tightly aligned to be able to optimize their execution. But what's fundamentally happened is that we've developed tech stacks within each function that are not aligned and oftentimes conflict and inhibit your ability to drive sales process execution. And so I view the successful CROs, you have to do job one, which is forecast. That's what enables you to keep your job. The second is though, how do you bring the functions cross-functionally across the company into an aligned focus to help your sales team execute. And the only way you can do that is if you bring the analytics of the tech stacks to one unifying data set that aligns where we're gonna focus to help them perform better. 
Yeah, two things you said there that I got to kind of dig down with you. So number one, I'm just finishing some research that studied about a thousand CEOs, CFOs, and sales professionals asking what the number one skill development area was for each level within a sales organization. And Todd, at the CRO level, the number one feedback, and it was like 58% was forecast management. So you're exactly right. Everyone says that's a skill that needs to develop, but I'm not sure it's as much of a skill as having the right data insights to be better at forecasting. You talked about aligned analytics, that that's the holy grail to get alignment. And my belief is, and what we tell our customers, is it starts at having shared goals at the executive level, that the head of marketing, sales, and customer success need to own the same goals that the CFO and CEO talk to about the board, whether that's the growth rate, the amount of new ARR, the efficiency of growth, the CAC payback period, et cetera. How do you think setting shared metrics impacts the ability to have shared analytics? I think it's the only way to get there. I think every company, I've seen this firsthand, I've experienced it, happens a lot more the larger the company becomes. Every executive team starts off the year with a belief that we are aligned as to the underlying metrics to execute the company plan. But what tends to happen as you get through the quarters, that alignment tends to become weaker because each function, you know, think about being in a management business review, your monthly business review, or your quarterly, everybody is presenting their analytics and their quantitative assessment or qualitative assessment of the interpretation of the data, because each function has its own data set, its own tech stacks. And so if you do not have a unifying capability to make sure that the systems you're using to measure and evolve those metrics to keep alignment, then inevitably they start to fray, they start to separate, and you're now left with a misaligned execution cross-functionally whether it's vanity metrics that a particular function has for its business or just you know lack of alignment and different outputs on analytics from a sales ops set of analytics versus a marketing versus a product team. And so the challenge for CEOs is when you get these functional discrepancies or conflicting analytics, how do you realign the teams? And I've seen firsthand that that's a very big vexing issues for companies. Oh, Todd, I can't tell you how many executive team meetings I've set in where the head of marketing talked about their website visitors or number of leads they were developing and even marketing qualified leads. And then this head of sales was talking about their increasing ACV and increasing their close rate and customer success was talking about, well, my logo retention rate is up 2% this quarter, but <laughs> they were missing their number, both on the top line and bottom line, but they all were succeeding. That's right. Listen, I've lived that firsthand and I've had functional peers literally changing the definitions of metrics or the criteria. It's not unusual for teams to want to demonstrate their functions as doing well. And it's often very difficult to be able to ferret out where that misalignment starts and to keep everybody aligned. It happens all the time. And yet as a CRO, you're so dependent cross-functionally. I submit to you that the revenue function has more dependencies from an execution standpoint than any other function in the company. And so we thirst to keep the alignment, but we haven't had the systems up to this point to really drive a unifying set of performance metrics that allow us to report out at weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever the case may be, to keep that alignment. And at the end of the day, if that alignment frays, 
and I'm not able to make the number because lead quality actually slipped or competitive positioning actually is not as good as the product team may be presenting it, or we're not executing as well with competitor A gets engaged. If you don't have the data to bring those functional leaders to the table to deal with the facts, then you risk becoming very misaligned. And oftentimes the CRO is left with taking the full accountability because at the end of the day, the CEO keeps his job when you make the number. And that typically falls on the CRO. Todd, you're singing my song here, but it's a great (laughs) vision, but how the heck do we make it happen? And one of the things I was reading about was your concept of advanced sales math. Number one, what is advanced sales math? And does that help you leverage that unified data to make better decisions when it comes to revenue performance? Yeah. So this concept of advanced sales math really comes from this concept that every company has a version of what I call basic sales math. You enter a forecast period, let's say it's a quarter. You know how many sales reps you have. You know what the products are that have been launched and what the trajectory of those products are. You know what your typical conversion rate is from the funnel and how much business needs to come in within a quarter if you've got a a shorter sales cycle business. They're the basic high-level metrics. And we've lived with those for years, for decades. Do I have enough sales reps? Do I have enough funnel to make the number? The challenge is those high-level metrics don't give you enough detail to understand what's the underlying quality of that funnel, what's the underlying execution of your sales process, because in this very dynamic world, it's changing now quarter to quarter. So one of the big vexing challenges that CROs have is they enter a quarter. If I typically have a two and a half, three times coverage, if I have enough funnel, then should I feel good? Well, how do I know that this funnel coverage is consistent with the previous quarters? Well, the only way you really figure that out as a sales leader is through interrogation and inspection of deals. You're always applying judgment. And that's really goes back to the survey question you referred to before. When CROs say, I have to improve the skills to forecast, what it typically is translated to is I have to be able to be better at applying judgment to what my team is telling me so that I can translate that to a forecast we can make. Well, that process just doesn't scale. And so advanced sales math says, let's get a lot more data. If you understand what the engagement profile looks like on a deal in your business, there's engagement levels, the number one indicator of the health of a deal, right? If a customer is responding to your rep's email, scheduling meetings, opening up your attachments, then your value prop is resonant. They're investing time. The moment they start to become not as big of a believer in, the, in your value prop, they are going to divert their attention and it's going to be harder to get them to open your email, schedule a meeting. And so today, how do we assess that based upon what the rep tells us? You got to get out of that business. There's now technology that enables you to capture all of that digital engagement. And if you know what the profile of a winning deal looks like, then you can absolutely assess the quality of a deal and the quality of your overall funnel, but grounded in data. And that then allows you to get to bring the company together to say, this is our sales process. This is how we're converting meetings to continue through a sales process. Where is marketing material used? Where is it not? Where are we competitive when competitor A gets engaged at this stage or not? I can bring those functions together with the data that allows us to deal with the facts. But does advanced sales math just take more of that data so you can give more insights to the CRO where human decisions are still made? Or does it really leverage AI and it becomes more of a machine learning 
prediction algorithm that tells you what's going to happen versus what you think is going to happen? Well, so a little bit of both, right? So when advanced sales math, it really has an element of, it needs a machine learning engine because when you're automatically capturing all this data, because you got to be able to get the data, but you can't burden the rep anymore, but you also need the data on all of your customer facing resource, not just the rep. And so how are your SEs engaging? How are the managers engaging? Where's product management engaging? And what are the engagements that machine learning helps you identify impact success, win rates in your business? And that is a series of meeting conversions. It's maybe how many contacts. Every business has a sweet spot when your win rate is the highest. Do you know what that is? And do you know when that downslope of win rate drops so that you can assess deals and get them either back on track or identify you've got a dead deal? One of the biggest challenges we have is how do you identify a deal that's stalled or worse, a deal that's dead, that's a false positive on your funnel coverage? Or even more importantly, you're wasting sales resource on deals that are dead. Like get them to the front of the funnel where their focus, their productivity is going to be so much more effective. So there is a tactical indicator insights that help you assess the health of every deal without relying on the interrogation. When you have that high quality, now it gives you an ability to have AI predictive analytics that says this funnel based upon this quality is going to drive X. And so you should be able to now know at any point in a quarter, how healthy is my funnel? How confident should I be? Because it all goes back to forecasting. The earlier you can indicate to the CEO and to the board, are we in good shape or not? Not based on judgment, but based upon data. The faster you set expectations, the longer you're able to stay in the job to improve the results and deliver on what the CEO and the board are looking for. Todd, a lot of CROs are going to say, I've got an amazingly well-defined sales process with five yep. stages. I've got gates that if you don't fulfill those gates, it doesn't move from stage two to stage three. Are you going beyond that and looking at other variables beyond kind of those traditional gates that we use? Yeah, I've actually shifted my thinking completely on sales stages as a result of having experience at this now for the last year. I now no longer look at a deal and a funnel based on sales stage. To me, it's, it's a challenge because back to the rep inputting and keeping the hygiene of your data clean. Reps are really bad at adding contacts and adding last actions, and they're actually worse at keeping deals at the proper stage. And so I just have stopped depending upon that. But actually what I've found is that if you think about a sales process as a series of meetings that you're looking to convert to get them bought into wanting to invest time in the next meeting. And if you know what the inflection points are in your sales process, everything to me about doing a funnel and a forecast review and assessing the quality of the overall funnel is about engagement level. Now, clearly, as I get to the later part of a quarter, the last month, I want to assess the quality of the deals that are in negotiations. But if I know that it's at meeting six, meeting seven, meeting eight, and I know I typically win at that nine and 10, 10 meetings mark, I can presume I'm at that stage the analytics will help me understand that without depending upon the rep to tell me it's in negotiation. So I think sales stages are important, but more for bucketizing the activities, the deliverables for onboarding and for training of your team. But I've completely flipped now that when I look at the operational execution of engaging my team and developing their ability to execute and delivering the number, it's not relevant anymore. Wow. So you're looking at things like 
activities and engagement, looking at both outbound emails to your prospect, maybe inbound emails, who they're from, did they set up a right. kickoff meeting on a certain date? You're looking at all that and that factors into a automated forecast? I think it is ultimately what we mean by advanced sales math is that if you understand what your sweet spot is relative to where the inflection points are and where the chief decision maker comes into that process, is it meeting eight? Is it meeting nine? If you understand how many contacts is the sweet spot in a decision process in your business, and you know that you don't win after three pushes or you don't win after 200 days, if you understand all that, then you look at these deals through a completely different lens. And it also allows you to bring that cross-functional team again to say, I'm stalling at these stages. So let's bring the product team and the marketing team and say, how do we reinforce or reintroduce other value props to enable my sales team to execute? So once you realize that every sales process is a series of meeting conversions and the role of the rep is to present value, to present insights, to get the customer to keep engaging to the next level, whether that's sponsorship to get to the decision maker or bring more people engaged. Every meeting has to be about advancing the buy into your value prop for the customer to want to invest time. And if you think about it that way, the analytics about engagement will tell you everything. Did they schedule the next meeting? Did they open the email? Did they look at the meeting material that you sent afterwards? And the moment they stop, is that an indication that your value prop may be a little bit weak and you may be at risk? How do you get them back on track? Yeah, this is really intriguing. One of the challenges I see with this, Todd, is there's so many point solutions out there yeah. that are used to talk to potential customers, whether it's different point solutions and marketing that, by the way, they could be sending something out to marketing in a late stage deal, or your salesperson does a text versus an email or a phone call, or quite frankly, have a discussion on social media. So with this proliferation of all the different platforms that are interacting with a potential customer, how do you bring all that data in? Because it seems like it's unwieldy. Now, it's a really key point. And what's happening is two fundamental shifts are starting to pick up steam. Number one is an organizational, is that this concept of having marketing with its marketing ops function and sales with its sales ops function and customer success with its customer success operations team. They're all driving strategies and tech stacks that make this consolidation of analytics to be extremely difficult. And so companies are starting to realize that I no longer can think about adding the next point product that does something really well, but makes it really hard to consolidate the analytics. There are a lot of products, our customers' tech stacks that will give op scores, but they'll give competing and conflicting op scores. How do you parse that together? So the first trend we see is companies recognizing, I've got to bring the operations teams together into this revenue operations structure. Some companies are starting with virtual, but then they're realizing you need to have one ops leader that's thinking about this architecture and is now able to make the trade-offs that marketing may want this key function or sales may want this key product, but it's only going to make it more difficult to look at it holistically. So that's the first trend. The second trend is once you start to develop that, you're now starting to think about your tool, your tech stacks completely differently. And you're going to start to see a consolidation. Like in technology, everything consolidates over time. Some consolidate faster than others. There's typically a wealth of innovation in the early stage that creates a wealth of value. 
but then it becomes difficult to piece it together and things start to consolidate to be able to deliver the holistic view. And we're starting to see that now. And that's the concept of a revenue intelligence platform that pieces all of this engagement data together and allows you to see the journey of the customer from lead conversion to new, to a renewal, to cross-sell. You can't look at it by stage. You've got to look at it holistically. So two key developments, I think, that are going to pick up steam here over the next several years. Well, interesting. The company I founded is called RevOps Squared, and it was all about <laughs> using revenue operations to truly integrate marketing, sales, and customer success and align it to the customer buyer journey. But here's an interesting phenomenon. When I did some research with HubSpot about six months ago, we found that the number one measurement of the impact of revenue operations was supposed to be the increase in ARR growth and pipeline growth. But then when we asked revenue operations professionals where they spend the majority of their time, it was 60 to 70% in data hygiene and data management. And then I correlated that to the people who had the highest data hygiene issues had the lowest presence of a true CRO who owned marketing sales and customer success. It was a very interesting dynamic. I see it all the time. <laughs> a lot of the data hygiene comes from the proliferation of tools where you've got lots of lead sources. Lead sources are all creating data. So there's duplication and data quality issues that start at the front of the funnel that if you don't have cleaned up, make it very difficult to put the systems in place on the customer journey through the sales process. And if you've got different systems that are managing the engagement with the customer in the sales process that's different than once it's a customer in the customer success platform. How do you bridge those gaps and make sure that you've got a unifying face to the customer? I've seen this firsthand. It's a real challenge. But the advanced companies are starting to figure out that, that this functional view of the customer experience and the lack or the poor handoff between systems is really contributing to a poor experience and ultimately poor execution by you to the customer. So people are now waking up and it's becoming a much greater focus, but you're exactly right. If you don't have the data and the analytics, it's really hard to keep that alignment cross-functionally and drive this consistent, relentless focus on improvement of your sales process. You know, there's so much noise out there from influencers and thought leaders about helping entrepreneurs. How do you start your SaaS company? How do you get to a million AR? How do you get to a 5 million AR? And that's great because that's the largest percentage of SaaS companies. But Todd, and I know you have this experience. One of the biggest challenges I see is when companies get to maybe 10 to $20 million in ARR, a lot of the things they did by being hands-on and knowing every deal, right? It starts to fall down and they stall the growth rate goes from 80% down to 20 or 30%. What are some of the common challenges you've personally experienced kind of when companies set 10 to 20 million? And what's your advice of what to look at and to return to hypergrowth? Yeah, I mean, I'm living that here with Inside Squared where I joined over the last year, which was a company that had 10 years of really good, strong growth and then hit that kind of wall. And they hit that wall from a growth standpoint for two fundamental reasons. Number one, if your solution doesn't have the stickiness without a lot of high maintenance touch by you to the customer, it's really hard to sustain. And that was one of our challenges is that the original dashboarding solution, while it added great value, just wasn't sticky enough. Your solution has to be integrated into the customer's business processes if you ever hope to have a high retention, low churn business, which is critical. Because if you've got a leaky bucket, you'll hit a certain point. 
where the growth will not be able to fill in the leaky bucket. You can mask it early on in your life, but if you don't tackle that leaky bucket early on, you know, the day of reckoning will come. There's just no doubt about that. The second thing is, is that, and I've lived this as well, is that, you know, as a founder and an executive team, as you said it right, you're engaged an awful lot with customers as you're iterating on your product market fit, as you're learning about how your team is executing, but you hit a point quickly where the amount of engagement you can do just doesn't scale based upon the numbers of customers that you have as a successful company getting up into that $20 million range. And so you've got to rely on your team. But I've also learned that relying on your team always requires a level of trust, but verify that they're continuing to drive the processes and engagement level with customers. And you have to have the systems that enable you to identify those customers that we're not executing for or executing well and be able to get to them quickly and establish a culture where a challenging customer, challenging experience is an opportunity to learn and grow. And so one of the things I focus an awful lot on is, listen, we're never going to execute 100% of the time. When we don't for a customer, we as a team have to have a culture where we raise our hand and we go fix the customer issue first. There's no finger pointing. There's no who stumbled. Like, let's fix the customer. And then let's go circle back to say, how did we get here? Are our processes not scaling? How do we improve our ability to make sure that that doesn't occur again? And that's a really tough cultural aspect, but you've got to have the systems in place that enable you to find those areas where execution may not be going well quickly. And so I spent a lot of time on those aspects. I think those are the critical items to be able to blow through that $20, $25 million ARR limit. Yeah, Todd, I think that's great advice. Let me add one more to that and see what you think about that. And I was talking to the CRO of Zoom from yeah. 2013 to 2020. I just had him on the podcast last week. And he said, Ray, one of the other things we did was early on, we went out and talked to a lot of our prospects, those who bought, but also those who didn't buy to really understand the buyer journey. And then we aligned our sales process to their buyer journey. So how important do you think kind of doing those closed lost assessments are to informing that growth? I think they're incredibly important. And I'd even take that even to when you recruit and don't get somebody you want. Why? How did we represent ourselves that you wouldn't want to join this team? So I think I use that philosophy in both areas. I think it's incredibly important. And I think the other thing that I would add to that is I find it's really interesting when we do win why did we win, Mr. Customer? How did you hear about us? Where do you go to do your research to be able to reach a point where you reach out to us? Because I think we all realize now that there's so much pre-sales work that's done in the customer before you ever engage with them. I mean, a lot of studies out there that customers are 50, 60% through the buying process, having already done their research. So knowing the buyer's journey pre, before they ever engage with you, so that you can provide that content, that influence, that learning. I mean, customers are learning on the web and they're establishing perceptions about your technology, about your company, about your industry. How do you rise above that fray? So I find it's a valuable source, both when you lose, why did we lose, but also when we won, how did we win? How did we get you? What connected with you? So on both ends of the spectrum, Ray, I think you have to have really strong listening pulses to continue to fine tune your execution. Yeah. So we've been speaking now for about 30 minutes and let me see if I can summarize some of the advice that you provided. So number one, 
if you're having some forecast management challenges and you're pushing deals more often than you thought, you should really get to understand revenue intelligence and advanced sales math to increase forecast performance. Number two, if you have real issues with a lot of point solutions and you've got data management issues, really think about consolidating that into one integrated, I'll call it revenue intelligence environment. So you can mm -hmm. have all the inputs and variables to make better decisions. And number three, I'm hearing to make sure that you also factor in both customer and prospect feedback into that revenue intelligence database. Pretty accurate? I think you nailed it. Great. Well, let's move to the final wrap up here on the metrics of measure up. And that's getting to know you just a little bit better, Todd, and through some of what you do. So what CEO or company do you think is a must follow for entrepreneurs and other CEOs in 2021? Yeah. So this is a situational answer, but one of the CEOs and companies that I think has just done an incredible job is Nick Meta over at the Gainsight. Now, this isn't going to be overly insightful because they've really been very successful for a lot, or it's well known how successful they've been. And they're now a unicorn from a valuation standpoint with their latest round. But what I think Nick and the team have done incredibly well is they created a category and how they created the category of customer success through educating a market customers on how to think differently about their business and providing the technology to be able to implement that thought leadership, I think is extremely admirable. It's hard, very hard to create a category. And I say it's situational because that's in essence what I'm trying to do with Inside Squared is this whole concept of revenue intelligence is a new space. And so I find myself spending more time educating and enlightening customers relative to what technology is now possible to do, it's probably my number one challenge. And so I've got a tremendous amount of respect for not only what they've done, but what they continue to do in leading a space that they created. And now as they get more competition, they continue to just excel. So I've got a tremendous amount of respect and I'd encourage everybody to follow Nick's journey. That's a great advice. Second question is, which tool do you say every SaaS company should yeah. be using and why? Yeah. So again, it's a little contextual here, but as I've talked to you about engagement data, right? So it's knowing what the email flow is back and forth and the meetings and new contacts and what content is being shared is kind of like the starting point for advanced sales math. But as you get to the next stage, there's a lot of good technology out there that helps you understand what marketing content is good and it is being used, whether it's the number of downloads or how often your team is using it. But the next phase of analytics is to understand when I send material, whether it's a pre-meeting brief or a post-meeting content or a proposal, is being able to get the analytics to say, is the customer opening it? Are they looking at it? Are they, where are they spending time? Are they forwarding it two, three times? If you know that at a proposal, it's a very insightful piece of engagement data that just further enhances your ability to understand is your value prop resonating. And so the team at Mediafly and Carson Conant is a company that I really like what they're doing. We brought their technology in, took our professionalism from a proposal standpoint to a completely new level. Like a lot of startups, you know, you've got spreadsheets and Word documents or Google Docs and reps are creating their own. And it gets to a point where it's just not representing your company, your brand. And so they've got some really cool technology to enable you to not only professionalize, but get the analytics as to how effective they're being in your sales process. And so as a CRO, I kind of love it because I can hold my marketing team accountable to what content is really being used. How is it being used? 
And so there's no more vanity metrics about the amount of content. Like I want content that's going to be used, that's going to help our sales team execute. And the team at MediaFly, I think, has got some really cool technology that we're starting to leverage pretty successfully here. Great advice, MediaFly. So last question, Todd, what advice would you give, whether it's a recent college grad or an early career professional who's not yet in the cloud or SaaS industry and wants to come into the industry? What advice can you give them? Yeah, it's advice I've given my two boys. They didn't follow it. (laughs) So I'm still trying to figure out how to be more effective with this. But what my advice is, be careful in where you enter. Because where you enter off a lot of times in the early stages of your career kind of sets the direction that you're going to stick with. And so if you're going to enter a SaaS company, I would give them two advices. Pick an industry, a technology that's selling into an industry that excites you. Because if you sign up for a healthcare SaaS, odds are you're going to be in the healthcare segment. That's not that that's bad, but just make sure that that's something that excites you. The second piece of advice I'd give them is I would always recommend start with a SaaS company that's a little bit more established, you know, in that 50 to $100 million range, because you're going to learn a whole lot more about how to scale a larger company. Versus if you start at a early seed level stage that's trying to figure out its market product fit in its business, might be fun, might be exciting, but I think those opportunities always exist and you'll be much more effective at them and you'll be much more effective at assessing, is that the company with the right leadership that I want to join? After you've gotten a broader set of skills and experiences from which to assess that opportunity. And so don't start with the early seeds, start a little higher because the seeds are always going to be there. Yeah, Todd, that's really great advice. We just conducted some additional research about what are the needs that you have as an early career professional within the cloud and SaaS industry. And number one and number two were, I need more training and I need more mentorship. And the correlation was off the charts to when people said that with a sub $5 million company versus a greater than $50 million company. So that advice is backed up by real recent data. Todd, thank you so much for being a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. And for our listeners, if you're enjoying the guests that we have and the topics that we discuss on the Metrics That Major Up podcast, It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app and provide us a rating and your commentary so we can make the show better for you and every other listener. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.